Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of Cognition Conversations. I'm Tony Caggiano, Chief Medical Officer at Cognition Therapeutics. Today, we have a two-part conversation about dementia in the Lewy body. We're fortunate to be joined today by several neuroscience thought leaders active in Lewy body dementia research. I'd like to introduce and welcome first, Dr. Sarah Berman, Professor of Neurology at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. Dr. James Leverens, who is director of the Cleveland Lou Ruvo Center for Brain Health. And finally, Dr. David Sprecher, who is movement disorder director from Banner Sun Health Research Institute in Arizona. Moderating our discussion will be Dr. Brendan Kelly. Brendan is professor of neurology at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. Brendan, perhaps you can start our discussion today by framing some of the issues you see in conducting DLB research. Absolutely. Well, thank you for getting us all together for this conversation and hope that we can draw some much needed attention to dementia with Lewy bodies. For anybody who's watching that you know may be less familiar with that condition, dementia with Lewy bodies is the second most common neurodegenerative cause for dementia in older adults. And it, it's estimated that it affects somewhere between 1.2 and 1.4 million Americans. So it's not an uncommon disease, and yet it has not really garnered the type of research attention and research focus that Alzheimer's disease has. Alzheimer's disease and dementia with Lewy bodies are not mutually exclusive, and those pathologies may overlap even within the same patient. Jim, uh, maybe you could comment on how often in your clinical practice you feel that you're seeing patients that have purely dementia with Lewy bodies or purely Alzheimer's, and how many times you may consider that those two pathologies are overlapping in the patient. Sure, thank you. We know clinically in terms of our evaluations that probably about 50% of dementia with Lewy body cases, people who present with a dementia with Lewy body clinical syndrome, that probably about 50% have coexistent Alzheimer changes in terms of you know, what we can do with an amyloid plaque image, for example. But we know that almost all have some amyloid deposition in their brains. Similarly, if you look at Alzheimer's disease, the patients and individuals who've come to autopsy, about 50% have some kind of Lewy body pathology that we link to Lewy body dementia. So a lot of overlap uh, pathologically and clinically, it can be a challenge. Sarah, for, for those who are watching that may be a little less familiar with um, the pathology substrates of dementia with Lewy bodies and Alzheimer's disease, um, maybe you could remind our, our audience of what we mean when we're talking about Alzheimer's pathology or Lewy body pathology. So with Lewy body pathology, we're, we're talking about a certain type of protein that builds up in the brain, and that protein is called alpha-synuclein. So we call those synucleinopathies because they build up synuclein. Alzheimer's disease has other proteins that build up called amyloid and tau, and they form certain pathological changes in the brain. And so what we're talking about in distinguishing them is that often people who clinically have Lewy body dementia or dementia with Lewy bodies, they have that synuclein in their brain. But if you look in their brain, they also have those changes that you see in Alzheimer's disease. And because of that, clinically, they really overlap also. Thank you for that explanation. And I think that really kind of nicely intersects with a question I'm hoping maybe uh, David might 
uh, start a little conversation about, which is what do you think is the role of amyloid PET scans? Like, like for example, if a person had a negative amyloid PET scan or a positive one, um, how does that help us to sort out about you know, uh, Lewy body pathology? Yeah, well, this is this video is being recorded at a very pivotal time where treatments are becoming available for Alzheimer's disease, where these very expensive PET scans are going to be critical to confirming people actually have amyloid pathology in the brain and are appropriate for that treatment. One of the big challenges is this is these are still very expensive biomarkers to confirm amyloid pathology and it's also still unclear in patients who have pure Lewy body as opposed to mixed Lewy body plus amyloid pathology, whether a particular treatment that we're testing will work differently in someone with pure pathology versus mixed. David, you know, how, how do you feel that incorporating these biomarkers as we look to, let's say that we've designed a clinical research study for dementia with Lewy bodies, how might we use these biomarkers to ensure that we're studying patients that have the, the disease that we think we're studying. So in the study of Lewy body dementia, so specifically dementia with Lewy bodies here, there are two main uh, important challenges. First of all, there are patients that have subtle features that don't necessarily meet all the classic clinical criteria for dementia with Lewy bodies. I don't think we're ready to modify our criterion trials just yet and let biomarkers supplant those clinical criteria. But there are cases where people do have some subtle features that suggest dementia with Lewy body, subtle motor features of Parkinsonism, subtle fluctuations in cognition, rare visual hallucinations, movements during sleep. We're not really sure that these are truly dream enactment behaviors. And we already know that in these patients with mixed pathology, mixed pathology, when there's a lot of amyloid pathology or amyloid and tau of Alzheimer's, may mask some of those dementia with Lewy body features. So if we could validate imaging, CSF, or skin biomarkers to improve our diagnostic accuracy and confidence, it would speed recruitment for these trials. Let's say that you uh, now you put on your clinician's hat for a second and you, you say, I have this patient who has these subtle findings, you know, perhaps clinically not enough that you feel absolutely confident that you're dealing with dementia with Lewy bodies. Um, you know, how, how might you use existing biomarkers to try to understand, you know, is, are these early symptoms of that? Or is this person, you know, progressing along towards Alzheimer's disease? Or do I just need to you know, kind of continue to follow this person clinically to, to see how their symptoms emerge. One important thing to point out is that if a DAT scan is abnormal, or if the polysomnogram shows REM sleep without atonia, then we have one or both biomarkers that we can then use along with one or more of those core clinical features. And then we can be confident that we have that sensitivity and specificity confirmed for, you know, from our current criteria. So I think those, those biomarkers are valuable to rule in diagnosis, but some patients can still have a normal DAT scan, even though they turn out to have dementia with Lewy body. So it's not always useful as a rule out. David already mentioned that the REM sleep disorder, um, 
there are a lot of kind of clinical mimics. Um, so you do need to be a little careful there. And I think the, the way to really do that is with a, a polysomnogram. So get get some get them in for sleep study. Usually have to, has to be in a sleep center to make sure you know they're having the motor activity during during sleep that you're not not really supposed to have. Um, other other proposals within the prodromal area would be things like um, having an increased risk for delirium uh, in the context of another say medical procedure, and then early. Uh, early psychotic symptoms, particularly hallucinations. Uh, one of the questions is whether, uh, is to make sure that you're actually identifying those hallucinations in a, in a way. And number one is just be sure you're asking. Um, a lot of patients are not necessarily bothered. It's a little bit odd, but are not necessarily bothered by the hallucinations. So you have to ask and they say, well, yeah, I do. And they're not really bothering me, so I didn't mention it. In the second part of the conversation, I hope we'll discuss some things that would help primary care physicians or other uh, physicians in the community uh, to, you know, kind of better recognize and detect uh, patients who may be developing dementia with Lewy bodies. Um, just by, you know, for background, I, I you know, I, and, and probably to underscore the importance of this segment, um, you know, I know Dr. Galvin at uh, University of Miami had conducted a study that that identified half or more of patients who were diagnosed with dementia with Lewy bodies had more than three physicians along that journey before finally arriving at the correct diagnosis. And similarly, a study that was done in the UK had suggested that for every one patient who was diagnosed having dementia with Lewy bodies, there were probably another two people in the community who had gone undiagnosed. And so you know, those numbers, you know, certainly underscore the importance of, you know, having, you know, heightened clinical suspicion for this condition. Maybe we could uh, begin a discussion around some of the, the common clinical symptoms that a, a person might report to their primary care physician um, that should make them suspect dementia with Lewy bodies. Yeah, because um, dementia with Lewy bodies has this really wide variety of or symptoms, you often hear bits and pieces of them depending on how they present. So they might come in saying they have memory or thinking problems, and it might be memory, but often it's they have more trouble figuring out how to do something that they used to do. Things are taking them longer. They're having more difficulty. And along with that, they have other features that you typically don't see very often in Alzheimer's disease. So that second thing that you can see is what we call Parkinsonism. So that's the motor slowing, sometimes a rest tremor, very slow movements, they're shuffling, they may have more trouble with their balance, they may have less facial expression. And this can range from prominent. So in my movement disorders clinic where I see people, those motor symptoms can be prominent. Or in the dementia clinic where I see people, they could be so subtle that you really have to do you know, a lot of testing to pick that up. And then the other key things that you wanna ask about are visual hallucinations, which we talked about before, but a lot of times people don't offer those things. So you really have to ask. You can ask about 
um, visual illusions? Do they mistake something for something, something else? The hallucinations tend to be fully formed people, animals, but they may start out more subtle. And then this suspicion for REM sleep disorder. So that's when you're acting out your dreams at night when you should be paralyzed and only your eyes move, your whole body is moving and acting out its dreams. They're often violent, fearful sort of dreams. And then some unusual things like, I really stress to people to ask in clinic. So in our dementia clinic, this doesn't always come up, but the autonomic nervous system that controls your blood pressure can be affected and your bowel movement. So you can have constipation, you can get dizzy or lightheaded when you stand up, you can have urinary problems, sexual dysfunction. So all of those things are sometimes, it sounds like a lot, but those are the things that it's good to ask if someone's having memory problems to try to pick up some of those. David, um, you know, what advice would you give to a, a primary care physician who may have only a short time with, with the patient who's coming in and perhaps they complain a little bit of memory loss? What are a few quick questions you might suggest they could ask? You know, memory loss doesn't always mean that someone has trouble learning new information. People say memory loss, but if you only have five minutes, just briefly clarifying, what do they mean by that? And just follow up and say, well, do you mean that you don't remember conversations? Do you forget things? Or do you have trouble paying attention? Do you have trouble multitasking? Are you starting to get lost in places you normally wouldn't have? And those are the key questions that make them cue you in. There could be a problem with attention, executive function, or visual spatial perception. So that tells you this could be something other than Alzheimer's. When you look at them and you walk in the room, if that arm at rest is shaking, have them hold it out while you're talking. Say, hey, can you hold your arm out for me? And when the tremor goes away, and then after a few seconds it comes out again, that means it's a resting tremor that reemerges when you hold a sustained posture. Most, vast majority of the time, if someone has rest tremor and it's unilateral, that turns out to be a Lewy body disorder. Rarely it can turn out to be a close cousin like multiple system atrophy, but it is never essential tremor. So that is your big red flag. This is probably Lewy body dementia or Parkinson disease with mild cognitive impairment. And those other screening questions that we heard about, it's important to have those top of your mind if it sounds like this is a non-amnestic form of dementia. So ask about, have you had hallucinations? It's okay, don't worry, I don't think you're, I'm not trying to think, see if you're crazy or not, I'm just trying to get a sense if you could have a neurological condition that explains this problem. One thing that I recommend anytime someone with a memory problem or any features suggesting anything in the Parkinson's realm comes in and says, I feel dizzy, or they recently fell, don't just ask them and try to figure out what type of dizziness they have. But if they had a blood pressure when they checked in, after you watch them walk down the hall and back, whip out that stethoscope and measure their standing blood pressure. If their blood pressure drops at least 20 points systolic, but the heart rate doesn't rise at least 10 points, so 50% of that drop, that is a big honking red flag. You're dealing with something in the Parkinson's realm, most likely Lewy body dementia if they already have dementia. In a busy practice, it can be tough. You know, you have your, what, five to 10 minutes and you're walking in the room and the person's already sitting. Um, uh, eye blink rate is another thing I, I tend to pay attention to. Um, 
another thing that I thought I might mention is just uh, a lot of, uh, I look at how the, is the patient recognizing that they're having a problem? So that insight, a lot of Lewy body patients do recognize. They go, yeah, I get off track more easily. I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble from this executive immediate memory sort of things. Uh, classic Alzheimer's patients often say, no, my memory is just fine. And everybody behind them is shaking their head no. Um, so that insight is actually one of those things I kind of look for, especially um, early to mid stage. Um, Lewy body patients often continue to recognize that they're struggling, which is a plus and a minus in, in many ways. Completely agree. Um, kind of take us in a little different direction. I, you know, um, Sarah, why is it important uh, to establish an accurate diagnosis of dementia with Lewy bodies? So clinically, I think it's really important, and I think families will will tell you that. So it, because of this wide array of other aspects of their life that are affected that maybe you don't see so much in Alzheimer's, it's really important. And from a medical standpoint, there are some medications, for example, that people with dementia with Lewy body should never have. And they need to know because they can have very bad reactions to certain antipsychotic medications. You don't want to send them into the hospital without knowing because somebody might give them one of these drugs and they can have a really bad reaction. So there's the, the medical side of it. And then there's the understanding, I think, of treating all those other aspects that we talked about, the dizziness when they get up, the constipation, the hallucinations, the dream reenactment, all of those things, I think, are really important to ask about and treat in a holistic pattern. Because if they don't know what they're having, they sometimes, I think someone mentioned this, they feel like they're going crazy and they don't know what's happening. So knowledge is really important in terms of managing this. Just in comment, I do think a lot of families, and it may be a bias within my own clinic, but really want to know what's going on. I mean, it's very scary not to know what's happening to, as you mentioned earlier, uh, that uh, the family is saying, this isn't like grandpa's Alzheimer's disease. This seems to be different in some way. Um, so I think getting an answer actually helps a lot. I'd like to maybe just turn a little bit towards, you know, the, the more I guess, clinically rooted question of, you know, what are some of the earliest signs that a patient having memory complaints, what are some of the earliest clinical signs that a, you might detect that should make you think, this is the person that I need to take out into the hallway and observe them walk, or, you know, maybe I need to explore more about dream enactment behaviors or other parasomnias. If I were putting on my clinical hat, I would say to David's point, you know, that all the patients come in and they say, I have memory complaints and it's sort of up to us as physicians to figure out whether memory is truly the problem or if they're really trying to express that they're having difficulty organizing their thoughts. Personally, when I start to suspect it's more falling into that, you know, kind of difficulty with mental organization or, you know, organizing procedures in a particular uh, a sequence, um, that makes me start suspecting I want to ask some more questions around dementia with Lewy bodies. I'll often go over the different kinds of memory with people uh, and with their family members there and say, is this something where they get off track during a conversation? Um, or is this something where they don't remember and even with hints, it doesn't come back to them about something that happened earlier in the day or a day ago, a couple of days ago? Um, that sometimes helps them differentiate that. I often, I, again, I'd be interested in other people's opinions here. I, I also notice that in Alzheimer patients, you do see sort of delusional thinking. My 
brother, who it turns out has been dead for 10 years, visited me yesterday and the family will say, yeah, that's a hallucination. It's actually really a false belief. And you really want to pin down that. Are they actually, were you there? And they said, yeah, there's a, you know, there's a dog in the corner. and You don't own a dog or there's a kid over there. Those sorts of differentials can be very, very helpful in differentiating the hallucinations from other, other false beliefs, for example. Yeah, that, that's a, that's an excellent point, and I think one that bears repeating that that difference between hallucinations and delusions, or the difference between hallucinations and illusions, or misperceiving things in the environment, um, can can be really helpful. And as you mentioned, it's it's not uncommon that families might kind of describe all of those things as hallucinations to you, and only after you ask some follow up questions do you realize, oh, that's more a delusion about you know say that somebody's been emplaced by a riposter or something. I think we see that a lot, that the, the hallucinations are mixed up with delusions and it's our job as clinicians to, you know, to really figure that out. And in addition to the other cognitive sort of thinking points that everyone mentioned in terms of, you know, distinguishing memory from sort of um, executive function, meaning figuring out how things are working or what they're happening, you might, they might also notice some, visual perception problems that they might describe as they can't see or they, you know, they can't see as well as they did and they've been to eye doctors or they are misplacing, mis, um, you know, missing things when they go to put it down. So those can sometimes also be, I mean, you can see that in certain forms of, of Alzheimer's disease, but we, we use that sometimes to help figure out some of the um, cognitive changes. You know, a lot of the um, visual variants of Alzheimer's, in fact, are Alzheimer's with Lewy bodies. So I think you're right that that visual perceptual, that depth perception um, that people can really struggle with. It's commonly one of the, one of those early kind of visual spatial symptoms. I think a challenge that I often see, even with neurology colleagues, is when they hear hoofbeats, they think about zebras. And what I mean is respect to autonomic symptoms, in particular that orthostatic hypotension that I mentioned earlier. When someone has severe orthostatic hypotension, if they already have significant dementia, the vast majority of the times that's due to dementia with Lewy bodies and not multiple system atrophy. Multiple system atrophy tends to have an earlier age of onset than the other neurodegenerative illnesses, uh, particularly dementia with Lewy bodies. So if you're seeing a much older patient over the age of 70 who has severe orthostatic hypotension and some cognitive issues, looking for evidence of clear cognitive impairment that interferes with everyday activities, especially to call it dementia, should steer you toward looking for the other features of dementia with Lewy bodies and not to get down that zebra hunt of trying to call something that makes you think about multiple system atrophy the wrong thing. So if you had a patient who presented with you know, confusion and maybe some visual hallucinations, and you got the sense that it wasn't really memory predominant, mild cognitive impairment. And when you ask them about, you know, dream enactment behaviors, their spouse says, yeah, that's been going on since we were in our honeymoon. Um, you know, does the absence of Parkinsonian features, does that, does that exclude the diagnosis of dementia with Lewy bodies? Or is it that maybe not all patients have that? I would say many patients don't have Parkinsonism at the onset. And I think, again, depending on your specialty clinic, if you have a Parkinson's clinic, of course, most of them do have uh, 
Parkinsonism at the beginning. And if you're in a dementia clinic, though, we see people um, who may have very little Parkinsonism for a couple of years into the, into the process. The reason why we have four core features is one of them or two of them can be absent and we can still make a diagnosis with a fair degree of confidence. I think one that we didn't touch upon as much, but uh, really appreciate more the behavioral neurology perspective on this, is how do you like to ask about cognitive fluctuation? Because that's another core feature besides recurrent visual hallucinations, dream enactment behavior, and Parkinsonism, that I do have my own approach, but I think it would be helpful to really guide all of our colleagues what are some of the best one-liners when we want to look for that feature of cognitive fluctuation that would help us make a diagnosis? I'd say, do they sometimes have, do they have good days and bad days? Um, uh, are they pretty much the same every day? Uh, and, and often, if they're good, if they're good fluctuators or bad fluctuators, depending on how you're tired, they'll say, "Yeah, you know, some days it's like like he's back to normal." Uh, and other days he's really quite confused. And I, I can tell first thing in the morning, I've had some people say that this is gonna be a good day or this is gonna be a bad day. Um, Alzheimer's usually they'll say, no, pretty much the same every day, you know? Um, the other one that I found really interesting is I'll ask about whether there are just spells of profound inattention or disorientation where you're talking to them, but nobody's home. and. I'll often hear about or experience in my clinical follow-up several ER visits for a TIA with the exact same symptoms every time. And then they finally realize it's, it's a cognitive fluctuation. I, I, I try to preempt that and warn them this is going to happen when I make a diagnosis to avoid those ER visits, of course. Yeah, I agree. I think those are two the two really good points you, you guys made. One is that profound change. If you If they tell you that, that change in alertness, they just are staring off, but you can, you know, you, you can get their attention. So they're not happy because it can be mistaken for a, a seizure, right? Staring off into space. And then the other thing that I think Jim mentioned, or maybe it was Brendan saying that they're almost back to normal when they're having a good time. You know, that's something you don't hear as much. I certainly hope that this discussion can help uh, some of our colleagues in primary care to, you know, have a higher clinical suspicion when a when a patient is telling them about some of these symptoms that might not directly be connected with the memory complaint that they had brought up, um, w would you advise that you know most or all of these patients should be referred to a neurology clinic or even to a, a specialty clinic for further evaluation and care? I think it's helpful. And the reason, even my neurology colleagues who are not in um, movement or dementia will send, you know, even my movement colleagues will send me people who have dementia with Lewy because it is, there are so many different aspects of the disease that you're treating. And I think, you know, being attuned to all of those, we, we talked about the prognosis, but you can really make a difference to quality of life, you know, and by addressing, by paying attention to those things. So I think it is helpful. And then I, I mean, I, I think it's helpful for, for that reason and to really firm up the diagnosis, even if if you have a question and you're not, you know, some suspicion, we're happy to, to look at that. And then, you know, as we go along and we develop better treatments and, you know, have, if you're in a site like ours, you know, that have bigger places and have clinical trials, those are places, you know, getting somebody to that place allows them to 
have those opportunities um, as well. Well, thank you, Sarah, Jim, David. I've I, I really enjoyed uh, having a chance to connect with you and, and talk about dementia with Lewy bodies. I certainly hope that everybody watching this segment has learned a little bit more about the disease and as they go into their clinical practices, they not only have a better understanding, but a, a higher index of suspicion when patients are reporting some of those symptoms that we talked about. Great, and on behalf of Cognition Therapeutics, I'd like to thank each of you. Hopefully this was interesting for the specialized neurologist as well as the primary care physician, individuals and families dealing with this devastating disease. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Conversations, a podcast series by Cognition Therapeutics, where we discuss Alzheimer's disease, dementia, Lewy body, and other age-related neurodegenerative conditions. Our goal is to bring this important topic to patients, caregivers, doctors, and others interested in conditions of aging, because these issues affect us all. You can watch video recordings of this podcast series at our website, cogrx.com, under the Conversations tab.